A woman who has a desperate need encounters the only one who could meet that need next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Calvary Church at Aurora, Colorado welcomes you to today's Abounding Grace. We're going to look at a familiar story from John chapter 4 today with Pastor Ed Taylor. The Lord's encounter with the woman at the well is well known and has been studied repeatedly for a very good reason. This woman's life has many parallels with the lives of people today. You might not have been married five times and be living with your sixth companion, but it is possible you have more in common with this woman than you think. If you have your Bibles with you, take them and open them to John chapter 4. We study the Bible here at Calvary verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we're here in the Gospel of John. And we meet today the true story of an empty woman, a woman that sought satisfaction in places other than the one true God. Now, let's think of it this way. Have you ever been thirsty I mean, you just, that word, you understand what it means. You've been out working in the, in, the, in the front lawn, mowing the lawn, or you've been working out, or you've been talking for a long time, and you develop this thirst that, man, something, not nice old ice-cold water, or some Gatorade, or, or maybe even soda. You try to quench it, and you just can't quite quench it. You try everything that you possibly can think of, and still you find yourself thirsty. Nothing really satisfies Well, if you've ever experienced that, then I think in the same way you would understand that every human being on the planet today has a deep spiritual thirst inside of them. Not a physical thirst, but a spiritual thirst. And nothing, you know, that thirst spiritually, you know, sometimes we may not use the word thirst. We may refer to it as an emptiness where everyone senses an emptiness in their life, or that God-shaped void. You might hear it referred to that way. Everyone has a God-shaped void in their life. Today, for the sake of our illustration, we refer to that as being spiritually thirsty. And I want you to know, if that's you, there's nothing in this world that will satisfy your spiritual thirst. Only a relationship with the one true God who created you, who made you, Sin his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you will quench that thirst. We learn that by meeting this, this woman that Jesus meets at the well. A very empty woman. A woman who thought that men and romance and sex would satisfy her needs. A woman that went from man to man. Or in this case, husband to husband. You know, she was married five times, this woman. And the sixth man that she was currently engaged with was not her husband, who she was shacking up and living with. And I think she settled in her heart, in her life, this is just the way it's going to be. I'll find my satisfaction in men, and then it'll wear off, and I'll find another man, or he'll leave me. Or, and, and this was her life, married and divorced five times and living with a man when Jesus meets her to share with her the hopeful deliverance in him. I'm sure that if you were to look at this woman, she had an attractiveness about her. 
perhaps a personality that attracted men to her. And yet, while she was struggling and while she was really dealing with the emptiness in her life, going from men to men, you know what the men were doing? They were using and abusing her, taking advantage of this emptiness in her life. And she didn't quite know, or she, if she did, she just accepted it as her lot in life. But this encounter with Jesus will change everything for her. Well, she'll begin to measure her life with the reality of the true living water that God provides. This woman had an appointment with God, and she didn't even know it. I don't think she had any idea. Even after Jesus shows up at the well, it takes her from some time to click and go, wait a minute, there's something special is happening here, something real. One thing is for sure, friends, Jesus always keeps his appointments. He is never late, and he is always on time. At just the right time, God shows up in a powerful way to make something come clear for you and me. Some of you are here right now, and some of you are listening in to this Bible study and don't even realize yet that you have an appointment with God, that God has a word for you. He has an encouragement and a word of hope for you today. Just like he did as we're watching him in the Gospel of John. So far, we've only seen one other real interaction that he's had. It was with Nicodemus, remember? Nicodemus came with him, came to him at night, and so we called it Nick at night. Yeah, I'm going to use it until the last person laughs. I'm going to use it. And so in this time with Nicodemus, remember, we studied it. Some of the most glorious, some of the most wonderful words that were ever spoken came from the lips of Jesus to Nicodemus when he said, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, that, that is the summary of what you and I need to be right with God. It's so sweet, it's so wonderful. But Nicodemus is so different from this woman at the well. So different. If you look at the comparison and contrast of these two, you'll see the love of God for everyone, no matter what your station in life is. I mean, if you think about it, if you look at the contrast between these two conversations, in Jesus, first of all, the first one he talked to was a man. This one is a woman. The first person he talked to and shared these deep truths with was a moral, upright man. This one is a very immoral woman. One was known for his great accomplishments. One was known for her great immorality. One was looked up to. The other looked down upon. One was very wealthy and respected. The other, this woman was probably poor and very much disrespected on many occasions. And yet, with all the differences from the different stations of life, they were also very much the same because of their human condition. They were both empty. They were both searching They were both wondering about their life. They were measuring the reality of their life and what they've heard about God and seeing, you know, it's not measuring up. What I've heard about God and my personal experience just isn't there. And they both have an encounter with Jesus and they both are forever changed because of Jesus coming to them. It's an amazing, amazing thing. It's a reminder to us that Everybody needs Jesus. You know, every place I've ever been, anytime I've opened the Bible around the world, in our city, different places, I've opened up the Word of God, I found that one thing is always true. Everyone is a sinner, and everyone needs Jesus. 
It doesn't matter where you're at. doesn't matter what language. doesn't matter what culture. doesn't matter what the situation is. You know, apart from Jesus Christ, everyone shares four qualities. You need to remember this as you're talking to them about the condition of their life. First of all, everyone really deals with, whether they admit it or not, a sense of emptiness. They just realize this life, this can't be all there is. And we see examples of that even in our own culture. When we see someone that has so much, and you would think, man, if I was living in their shoes, I'd be really, really happy. And yet in their shoes, they were really, really unhappy. And they had, yet they had everything. Why? Because apart from Jesus, there is a sense of emptiness. Not only that, but secondly, everyone apart from Jesus shares a sense of loneliness. Where they could be surrounded by people, but still have that, that disconnection. They just, man, there's a loneliness. Not only that, thirdly, everyone has a sense of guilt and shame because of their sin. You can't do anything else with it. You can push it down. You can admit, you can pretend it's not there. But when it comes down to it and you're face to face with your own failures and your own weaknesses and your own emptiness and your own loneliness, right behind it comes shame and guilt over our sin against a holy and righteous God. And you know, one more thing I find among those that are disconnected from God is that they have a fear of death. They don't know where they're going to go after they die. And I know they say, I don't care, I don't care. No, no, just by saying they don't care, they do care. They've thought about it. They've thought, man, what will I do after I die? Well, you know, and all these other theologies are built up. And so whether you're a rich religious man or you're a poor immoral woman or anything in between, the answer is found in a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 4 where... Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though, verse 2, Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Mark that verse. He needed to go through Samaria. And so he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. You have to understand how radical and unpredictable and unexpected this little detour to Samaria really was. And in reality, it wasn't a detour at all. Between Judea and Galilee, the quickest way to get there was through Samaria. But there was such tension and there was such prejudice between the Jews, from the Jews toward the Samaritans and vice versa, that Jewish men and Jewish people walking from this path from Judea to Galilee or Galilee to Judea in the regions would purposely avoid. That, that journey would take about three days. They would take a journey that would take six to seven days in order to avoid Samaria. It really goes back to the Assyrians. When they invaded the northern kingdom of Israel in 722, they deported many of the Jews in that area and replaced them with pagans. So there was, a, there was an intermixture of religious and non-religious people, and they intermarried, and they had children, and they were looked upon by the Jews as half-breeds and, and throwaways and misfits and any of the other words that you can think of. And because of the strict, horrible legalism of the day, the Samaritans were just kind of written off. It was a feud so fierce and so intense that that people would rather go around than go through. But what does the Bible say in verse 4? He needed to go through Samaria. And there's a lot of reasons why he needed. Number one, he needed to go to Samaria because he had an appointment with a woman at the well. 
that she didn't have any idea. But number two, he needed to go through Samaria to teach us a lesson about prejudice. You know, there's no room for prejudice among those that call upon the name of Jesus Christ. There's just no room. It's a horrible sin to prejudge people. That's what the word really means. Prejudice sounds a little bit nicer than prejudging them by the way they look, by the color of their skin, by the language that they speak, by where they came from, by where they live, by what kind of money they have. Prejudice, prejudice. It's a horrible sin that church, church, we would do well to repent of it and forsake it. Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria to remind us that prejudice is a sin? And there's no room for it among the people of God. The Samaritans are people that Jesus died for, that he loves supremely. And while many people might look down upon them, Jesus looks them right in the eye and tells them how much he loves them. You know, if you can read ahead, we're not going to be able to finish the chapter today, but you can read ahead. This is the beginning of a revival in Samaria how they've been avoided by all of the religious people. You see, Jesus isn't interested in age-old feuds. He's not interested in the prejudice of the day. He's not interested in prejudging someone as he came to die for that very sin. He came freely to the city of Sychar to meet this gal. I mean, don't miss the heart of Jesus here, church, a heart that you and I want to develop, or the depth of how unreachable this woman really was and how untouchable she was to the religion of the day. Jesus loved people and came to die for their sins, regardless of their nationality, regardless of the color of their skin, the accent of their voice. You see, the world is tainted by division over nationalities, over languages, over upbringings, over financial status, over social status, over citizenship, over you name it, man has has invented things to divide man from man. It's not the heart of God. The cross is the great equalizer. Because no matter what your status is or where you've come from or what you're into or what color your skin is or what language you speak, no matter where you've come from, Jesus loves you. And he came to die for you. And you know, in Christ, the distinctions are gone away. And now we're just, hey man, we're just followers of Jesus. We're all messed up and need Jesus. That's the bottom line. And how we can have the, you know, in his autobiography, Gandhi shared a couple instances of really discouraging interactions with the church. He noted that one Sunday as a student, he attended a Christian church with the intention to ask the pastor about salvation and other Christian doctrines. But when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to offer him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. And Gandhi determined in that moment that if Christians had a caste system, he might as well remain a Hindu. Not only that, In another reflection, Gandhi said that he described another Christian congregation as not being particularly religious that he visited. Instead of being devout souls, the congregation appeared to be worldly-minded people going to church for recreation in conformity to custom. Again, Gandhi concluded that this type of religion could be of no service to him. And so he, he walks in, such an influential man, who had the opportunity of the Holy Spirit through the church to really minister to him and who knows what could have happened but instead he he reflects upon the prejudice of one congregation and the worldliness of another congregation he says i don't need it there's not much difference how important it is what we need to to remember not only do we need to go where the people are like jesus coming to the well but we also need to go with an open heart not to prejudge them when we get there 
or even before. I wonder how many times we avoid Samaria in our own life because we've already prejudged a community or prejudged a people in our own backyard. As many people have that attitude toward our own city. It's like, oh, you know, Aurora, and they have all the names and all the things. Oh, you know, that side of Denver or that. You know what? Enough with it. There are precious people that need Jesus. Enough with all that nonsense. Lay your life down on the, on the altar of Jesus. Give yourself a living sacrifice and you won't care where you go. Now, you may walk with wisdom. You may be careful, but you don't care. You're going to go with the confidence that that's where God wants you. Why? Because the people are there. Why did John the Baptist baptize in that particular region of the Jordan? Do you remember? Because there was much water. So if you're going to share the gospel, where do you need to go? Where the people are. <laughs> well, but they're in Samaria. Well, then I got to go to Samaria. That's where I got to go. That's Jesus' heart here. Verse 7. So Jacob's well there. It's about the sixth hour, it says, in verse 6. About the heat of the afternoon. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She understood the complexity and the unpredictability of this man being at the well talking to her. Because it wasn't just, she wasn't just a Samaritan. She was a woman. And unfortunately in society in that time, women were looked down upon. Women were looked as if, well, the legalism of the day that dictated that, well, the weird legalism of the day dictated that if a rabbi saw a woman, he was to cover his eyes. And it wasn't uncommon for some of these Pharisees to be bumping into walls and tripping and falling down because they were covering their eyes and didn't see because they didn't, oh, I don't know, I don't, can't see a woman, I don't, whoa, whoa, you know, it's like, oh, Rabbi, get with it, man, what are you doing? What are you doing? But I wonder in a spiritual sense if we're doing the same thing with some weird legalism, some weird rules that we've made up, alienating the very people that God has called us to serve. They looked down upon the, the women in such a way where they saw no value on them. It was a cold, dead, legalistic religion. And just to show us that Jesus wanted to break through that false teaching of the day, he goes to Samaria to speak with a Samaritan woman. But not only that, she was an immoral woman. That's what she was known for. I don't think she was too popular either. I mean, I know the women didn't like her because she was a husband stealer. She was with people's husbands going from man to man to man and not, you know, I don't want my husband anywhere near her. So I know we, we also get a hint that she wasn't popular with the women because she came to the well at a time when no other women would go in the heat of the day. They usually went in the cool of the evening to get their water. And there is a hint to me to see her go like here she is in the heat of the day, the worst part of the day. Nobody's there but her and Jesus. And the other women would come later. And Jesus just breaks all the stereotypical molds of what a religious person looks like. And how careful we need to be. We need to be more like Jesus and less like religious people. That the Lord would just infuse in us. That we make our decisions uh, based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit and not some re- external religious code. And that's what he does here. She had everything against her and she realizes, whoa, this is something special. Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> like, I must, you know where you're at? And you're asking me for a cup of water? And Jesus says, verse 10, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? This is really interesting because the first two instances that Jesus is talking to someone, they don't get it. You remember Nicodemus? You must be born again. How do I get back into my mother's womb? I don't understand. (laughs) And then here, hey, give me a drink. Well, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for a drink because I could really hook you up. You'll never be thirsty ever again. And you're like, wait a minute. There's a well here. You don't have anything to draw with. I, I don't understand. And yet, let me show you something. This is what Jesus is doing all through this section. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. This is so cool. This is what Jesus is doing and something you and I need to learn how to do as well. Check this out. It says in verse 5, Counsel is in the heart of man is like deep water. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. That's what Jesus is doing right here. He's drawing out of her the deepest issue in in her life. And he's not quite there yet. He's just working with her. Some people look at this and go, well, you know, he's kind of being mean or he's kind of... No, 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 no. He's a wise man drawing out counsel. You've been listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and part of our study in John's Gospel. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Pastor Ed, it's quite likely someone listening right now can identify with this woman from Samaria. They are completely empty and spiritually thirsty, and they've been seeking satisfaction but going to all the wrong places to meet that need. Why is it a futile endeavor to try to satisfy our biggest need with anything or anyone other than Jesus? Well, you know, Larry, this is man's uh, quest, isn't it? I know that for so many years... I chose to live in such a way trying to satisfy this inward need through drugs and alcohol and partying and it led I like you I like the fact you used the word futile it it led to emptiness and and really as we are learning in this whether it's the woman at the well and her lifestyle or even the religious ruler Nicodemus and his religious lifestyle I mean religious or not and again, listen, you guys listening, I know that not all of you would identify as Christians or go to church, but you love God's Word and you love Bible study, so you listen to the station. And it really doesn't matter whether you're religious and you're a churchgoer or you're a person that just like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. You need Him. You need Him. Everybody needs Jesus. Um, that, that is the key. And why is it futile to go anywhere else? Because this is God's design, you know, doing anything uh, against its design is empty and futile. Anything. You, you have to drive a car the way you drive a car. You have to ride a motorcycle the way you ride a motorcycle. You have to be on a skateboard the way. You've got to use something and do something the way it was intended to use and do. And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your upbringing is. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what the source of your emptiness or loneliness or why you carry such guilt and shame. The Lord loves you. And he has died for you. And if you come to him today, the enmity that you have with God, the emptiness and loneliness, the need for the forgiveness of your sins will be met right away. So please choose, come, pray, 
plug into a church, email us. We would love to connect you with a church or invite you to ours right here in the suburbs of Denver. Thanks for sharing that. You know, Pastor Ed has written an excellent book, just perfect for days like these. It's God's Help for the Troubled Heart. We all suffer and experience pain, and maybe for you, that's been at an all-time high in recent months. Well, God stands ready to help us when we experience a troubled heart. Perhaps you've experienced deep grief or a painful trial recently, or know of someone who has. I know you'll be blessed and encouraged as you read God's Help for the Troubled Heart. We'll send you a copy with our thanks when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we continue delivering God's Word one verse at a time... We're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, thank you for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.